Let's go live to get instant giant fan reaction. And a warning, the language is colorful. I put it on the guys who have been on the field, such as Daniel Jones, for several games now. Several. And you let a guy like Nick fucking Mullins, who wasn't even drafted, not even drafted, who's a backup, come into that place and outperform you. Don't tell me the weapons on the 49ers offense today was any better than the Giants. He just outperformed Nick Mullins. Took it to Daniel Jones' ass! Garoppolo fires it is caught still on his feet is Kittle with a big play and the stiff arm. George Kittle flags five. He's down to the 30. What a run by George Kittle. Welcome to the Denim Dungeon. I am your host, Brian Rennick, a contributor at 49ers Web Zone, and I am joined, as always, by my good buddy and fellow contributor, T Sliz, Tim Sprinkles. Tim, how's it going today, man? Hey, buddy. I don't know how I'm really doing after watching that presidential debate tonight. I poured an extra tall glass of El Jefe. It's, I am struggling. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Well, I am feeling better than yesterday. Thank you for asking. Um, I do apologize to our listeners. Normally, this episode would have been recorded on a Monday night and released on a Tuesday morning. We are recording on a Tuesday night because I was down for the count yesterday. Uh, had some kind of stomach bug. I don't know. Something I ate. Not sure. But from uh, Sunday night at about 10 until yesterday when I went to bed around 9, um, I was, uh, getting my ass kicked by something. And so I do feel better physically. Um, like you said, after that debate, I don't know how I feel, uh, emotionally. That was an absolute dumpster fire, but, uh, we are not here to talk politics. We are here to talk 49ers football and it is a triumphant Tuesday. How'd you feel about that game on Sunday? Well, I, I definitely think you're feeling better than the Giants organization and fan base. Uh, At least you, that one fan from uh, that you got to hear earlier. That's right. Uh, to start off the pod, we we included uh, just a clip from one of the the Giants fan base that posted on Twitter. There were multiple to choose from, and it just it's so much fun to watch. You know, other fan bases just just melt down and and want to tear their team apart because you know a few years ago before Shanahan and Lynch showed up we kind of felt the same way for uh, sure. about the about the 49ers organization and and yes we only had a few years where we we fell into a big dumpster fire of an organization but Jed York did the right things he hired the right people he kind of got out of his own way and let Lynch and Shanahan take over and run this thing. And since they have, the ship has been righted, and it's been great. But the Giants fan base, man, they just going from the the Jets and the Giants, we took down all of New York. Yeah. Uh, San Francisco, two. New York, zero. Yeah, we, we, uh, we took it to Gotham, for sure. Um, but let's, let's also be fair, as 49er fans, from Mariucci to really to Harbaugh, those were some lean years. And then we had Harbaugh, and then he wore out his welcome, and then well, we no, had lean Trent, years again. Trent Balky messed that one up. Like, That's true. 
if it, if it came down, in my opinion, to Jim Harbaugh or Trent Baalke, who am I going to choose? I would have chose Jim Harbaugh. Time and time again, I think he proved that he was he was the reason the 49ers came back to success. Now, was he the coach that was was going to get us to a Super Bowl victory? I don't know. He didn't win in the Super Bowl. His brother beat him. But he definitely was way better than Singletary and Nolan and countless other. Oh, <laughs> I can't even say his name as a head coach without laughing. It's so bad. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was less than ideal as a fan base for sure. Um, but yeah, we uh, I I know that I and I've said this on a pod before. One of the things that I appreciate about being a fan of this team right now is I genuinely feel that we have a coaching and schematic advantage in almost every, if not every game that we go into. And so, you know, we're talking about a situation where the 49ers were missing their QB1, their RB1, their RB2, their tight end one, their tight end two, wide receiver one, cornerback one, cornerback two, cornerback four, defensive end one, defensive end three, defensive end four, defensive end five, linebacker two, wide receiver four, wide receiver five, and their center one, and they beat an NFL team by 27 points. Like that, that right there tells you all you need to know about the job that not only Kyle Shanahan is, does as coach, but that the front office has done in building what is arguably probably the deepest roster in the NFL. Well, we talked about it last week, and we talked about the philosophy of next man up. And I know that it's kind of cliche, and I know that a lot of a lot of people say it in a lot of different situations, but to actually believe it, to actually live it, to understand that each guy in practice is going through their reps, understanding that they may get the opportunity this week to contribute because they know at any point somebody could go down. That's the way the 49ers live, and that's the way they play football. It's fantastic. It doesn't matter who's in right now. It doesn't matter if it's Nick Bosa or if it's Kerry Hyder Jr. or if it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Nick Mullins. These guys are getting the job done, and they understand if they use the knowledge that the coaches are passing down to them, they do their job, and they're not trying to do too much in this team philosophy. They're going to be successful, and both offensively and defensively, the 49ers have kind of come into their own and we'll talk about this in a little bit, but the 49ers, in terms of where they rank offensively and defensively, as a collective unit, they're about as as high up in the league as you can get. Yeah. Yes, they've played trash, but you're supposed to beat bad teams by a big margin. You don't play down to your competition. You beat the crap out of them. And that's exactly what the 49ers have done the last two weeks. Or as Pat McAfee said on his show, the 49ers beat the dog shit out of the New York Giants. One of the things that I thought was most impressive was, again, we just read you the list of the players that were out for this game, either before the game started or during the game. And yet um, the 49ers set some team records or at least set some records that haven't been um, you know, that haven't been seen in, in quite a long time. And so I just kind of wanted to highlight some of the fun things uh, that came out of this game. Uh, the first one is that the giants offense never made it into the red zone. So they never made it uh, past the 49ers 20 yard line. Um, and not only that, but the giants only ran 19 plays 
in the entire first half of the game. Uh, Nick Mullins has become the first 49ers. Can, can you go ahead? Can you call him? Big oh, sorry. Nick, big, big Nick, Nick energy. energy. Yeah, sorry. Big Nick energy. Nick Mullins has become the first 49ers quarterback since Joe Montana from 1985 to 1986 to throw for 220 plus yards in nine straight starts. Now, again, that obviously dates back to 2018 and then his start on Sunday. Uh, Fred Warner said the defense had talked about the Giants play that he intercepted all week. He also said that Jaquaski Tart called it out before the snap, which allowed Warner to put himself exactly where he needed to be without even watching the route. I don't know if you noticed this, but did you notice that he wasn't even watching Evan Ingram? He was just running the route himself. Oh, I noticed. But <laughs> did, did you? Because we watched the game together. Did, yeah. What did I say on that exact play? You said that uh, you, what you specifically said, we need Warner to get a pick six here. And he did not get the six part, but you nailed that he was getting an interception. I you said, said that Daniel Jones was going to be intercepted here soon. And I, I said, sit as he dropped back, I said, sit on the route, sit on it and pick it. And it happened. And I was like, it's just one of those things where it's rare that you see something and it comes to fruition. I was super proud of myself because I called that pick. Yeah, it was. It happened. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it was very, very impressive. Um, just to see is again, like you said, Warner saw it, Tart saw it, Tart called it out. You called it out. Warner pulled in the interception. Uh, the 49ers had the ball for 39 minutes and 44 seconds, which is the most time of possession they've had in two years. And then the last little tidbit that I thought was incredible was that they did not attempt a punt in the game for the first time since 1993. That's super impressive. I love the fact that those little tidbits and stats are coming out. And I mean, and Mitch Wisnowski still had an opportunity uh, to, well, he almost got his, his helmet ripped off on that yeah, face he did. mask. Holy cow. That wasn't good. And he had an incomplete pass. So come on. <laughs> he got in the game. You're not, you're not going to be in our fool's gold section of this podcast, but Mitch, I expect better from you. Come on. You're an Australian football player. You know, you know how to take care of the football. Let's go, brother. Yeah. And it, plus, he didn't even really get an attempt to uh, make a tackle on uh, on kickoff coverage. So, um, again, a, a boring game for Mitch Wisnowski, which made a pretty incredible game for the rest of us. So. It was uh, it was thorough domination. I mean, I don't really know how else to put it. And the other thing that I that I really enjoyed was to uh, read as you know the stories flood out on Sunday night and into Monday that uh, the team themselves expected the result that they got. And and like you said, it just kind of goes to the culture that they have built uh, here in Santa Clara and that next man up mentality mentality is not just it's not just a a cliche to them it's not a talking point it's a it's a legitimate philosophy that everyone on the team has bought into and it's just it's it's just a fun team to root for yeah there was kind of only one one thing that didn't work out well in the 49ers favor on Sunday and that was the fact that Jordan Reed actually came down with an injury and Reports right now say that he's going to be on the IR for six to eight weeks. Um, it's a it's a knee sprain, and as as somebody who has had a knee sprain, uh, I had a grade two MCL tear uh, my senior year in high school. Um, 
it the severity of it differs between position to position of what of what you ask your body to do. Um, for me in particular, I was a person who, as a quarterback, I had to drop back. Uh, it was not my my push leg; it was my my plant leg, where my weight would come down on that leg, so I could still so drive as a lefty. The ball. As a lefty, that's your right leg. Correct. Okay. Absolutely. Um, so as for me, it's it wasn't as dramatic of an injury uh, as it would have been if it was my left leg where I was going to have to drive and use all of that strength off of my left leg. Um, for somebody as like a receiver or a tight end where you need a great base, a foundation, you need to be able to make sharp cuts. This is the type of an injury where you need that knee to heal and you need it to be 100%. And unfortunately, um, Jordan Reed, he injured his ankle trying to make that spectacular catch in the back of the end zone, which he was a half, half a foot length from, yeah, from was... getting a, a fantastic, you know, touchdown. Uh, and then he gritted it out. I remember, you know, telling you and tweeting out, he'll be back. It wasn't, it wasn't that serious of an ankle injury, but MetLife Turf strikes again. And unfortunately... He, he pushes himself, I guess, a little too far, and something happens, and he sprains that knee, and now we are without our – I'm going to call him our tight end 1B yeah, right? for, six, for six to eight weeks. And that is kind of the only situation – yes, we could say Emmanuel Mosley is in concussion protocol, and Jet McKinnon went out with an upper rib injury. Those are kind of day-to-day, week-to-week. I expect them to be back and play uh, against the Eagles, but – uh, Jordan Reed is the biggest injury, the biggest you know loss that the 49ers had uh, in week three. Yeah, most definitely. He was uh, starting to come on strong and and Shanahan even said he was a he was a big part of the game plan that he had put together coming into this game. And so, um, yeah, it was what I don't understand is and, and I asked you this. I asked you this question when we were watching. I watched the the catch from Jordan Reed. And I saw him roll his ankle. And the first question I asked going into this MetLife turf is why is not every single player on that Niner squad spatted up to the hilt to protect their ankles on what they knew was crappy playing surface? So it's interesting to me that they it feels like they didn't take precautions that they could have in order to protect the players. And so it's just weird to me that they didn't. But what is interesting is everybody assumed that he hurt his knee and his ankle in that play. But apparently from what came out of the game, he rolled his ankle. They taped it up. He went back in the game and like two plays later is when he sprained his, his MCL. I, I don't even remember seeing the play. I don't remember seeing him down on the ground. I don't remember seeing him limp off the field, but, but yeah, a uh, six to eight week uh, injury for, Jordan Reed is a big loss, but the good news is Garoppolo, Kittle, and Mostert and Witherspoon are all day-to-day. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley is essentially day-to-day. He's in the concussion protocol. You never know how long those can last. Uh, Mark and, Z- and Zacha and Zocha, Ziocha, I don't know. Mark, Mark N. <laughs> um, well, linebacker sorry, Mark Sorry, N. brother. We messed up your name. It's a real tough name to pronounce. Uh, but he has a quad strain, and so it sounds like he's going to IR. K1 Williams had some hip discomfort, and he's day-to-day. And then this whole D Ford situation, which is really up in the air. 
this mysterious back injury that we don't really know a whole lot about. There isn't a whole lot of information about how long he could be out. They're talking about possibly putting him on IR. Uh, we'll see. I think if they put him on IR, Deion Jordan uh, replaced him uh, on Sunday. He was elevated from the practice squad and he had a sack in the game, which was awesome. And he's built in the same kind of mold as D Ford, but it makes me wonder if they do put him on IR, if there isn't possibly another signing of someone like a Clay Matthews or a Cameron Wake or even a Terrell Suggs to fill that hole uh, outside of Deion Jordan. So we'll definitely see on that. It, it would be interesting to get one more guy in there. Uh, just as a rotational piece, somebody who you don't have to rely on down in and down out, uh, but who can provide fresh legs, you know, given three different guys potentially on the end, every three plays, you know, they're going to be fresh. They're going to come off hard. They're going to get pressures. And I think they'd play a lot better than if they just went down after down. Um, yeah. Another player that you didn't mention any word on Dre Greenlaw. Yeah, it sounds like Greenlaw will be out again this week uh, against the Eagles, um, but hopefully he will be back uh, for that uh, week five game against the Dolphins. All right, so uh, let's move on to our Who Struck Gold and Who Struck Out segment, and we are actually adding a new little wrinkle uh, to this segment uh, in uh, honor of our wonderful sponsor, El Jefe Tequila. Uh, each week we will choose the El Jefe Tequila boss player of the game. Uh, for those of you that don't speak Spanish, El Jefe means the boss, which is why this is the boss player of the game. And not surprisingly, that award this week is going to go to Big Nick Energy. Nick Mullins, our backup quarterback, big number four out of Southern Miss, had quite the game. Started off a little shaky, uh, I think kind of just shaking the rust off even after having been in that uh, second half against the Jets, but he completed 25 passes on 36 attempts for a completion percentage of 69.4, 343 yards with a nine and a half uh, average per completion. And he threw one touchdown, most importantly, no interceptions. His longest pass of the game was 26 yards, and he had a rating of 108.9. What were your impressions of Big Nick Energy? Well, there's no doubt that, that Nick Mullins did exactly what he was asked to do. He came in, he took care of the game plan, he protected the ball, he converted on third down when he needed to, he escaped out of, you know, he escaped out of the pocket when needed, he was able to move around. And, and most importantly, he distributed the ball to 10 different receivers throughout the game. He got a lot of players involved. It never felt like the offense was out of sorts when Nick Mullins was in there taking snaps. And that's what you need to ask from your starting quarterback. The fact that we can rely on our backup quarterback to be able to do this is a big, big deal. And this is one of the things that separates the 49ers from other teams in the league is the fact that there's not a huge drop-off from when our starting quarterback goes out to when our backup quarterback comes in. And whether that's mainly due to Kyle Shanahan developing a great game plan and having an excellent scheme, or the fact that Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo are actually two really good quarterbacks, that's a debate for the ages. It's the thing that gets kind of 49ers Twitter right now fired up. But bottom line, the 49ers have two solid quarterbacks in a great system that we can rely on. 
All right, so let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, El Jefe Tequila. Hey, Brian. Hey, Timbo. What are you up to? Starting my pregame at home. What are you doing? Same here. Since we can't be at Levi's Stadium tailgating in the blue lot with the faithful, we have to do it at home and we have to do it right. Yeah, buddy. Since we can't be at the Denim Dungeon, I'm sitting in my candlestick seats, I got my Shanna hat on, and I'm pouring a glass of El Jefe tequila. El Jefe? You mean that new generation of luxury craft tequila, the good stuff? That's right. Every time I pregame with El Jefe and watch the Niners, it's a win. The faithful do love tequila. What are you getting down with? The Blanco, the Reposado, or the Anejo? You know I'm sipping on that Anejo. It's toasty with hints of caramel and a light spice. Dude, it's been aged 14 months in American oak barrels. It is so smooth. You want a glass? You know I do. El Jefe is as smooth as Jimmy G's clean-shaven chin line. Wow, that is smooth. Cheers, buddy. Bang, bang. Niner gang. If you'd like to purchase that luxury craft tequila, go to www.eljefetequila.com. That's www.eljefetequila.com. All right, let's move on to our 24 karat gold players. These are the players that stood out the most during the game. Not quite as, uh, as impressive as our El Jefe Tequila Boss Player of the Week, but our first member of our 24 karat gold tier this week is Fred Warner. What'd you think about Fred's game? Uh, I was really impressed with Fred Warner and the game he he put forth on on Sunday. He is rapidly becoming one of, if not the best linebacker in the National Football League. Week in and week out, you can count on Fred Warner to not only make his plays, but he does everything necessary to make sure that the defense rises their level and everyone around him is playing better. Now, he he only had two solo tackles. He had five assists. He had that one really impressive interception. But Fred Warner, just if you watch him, he is the undisputed leader of the defense right now with Nick Bosa out. Everyone is turning to him, and he's raising his game, and he's raising everyone else's level along with him. A rising tide. Was it rising tide? No. What is it? Rising tide like lifts all boats. There it is. Rising tide lifts all boats. That's what I was trying to say. Um, yeah, I. I mean, I would argue that Fred Warner with Nick Bosa out. Fred Warner is arguably, or maybe not even arguably, the best player on defense. He he has elite cover skills for a linebacker, which makes sense because at Utah, which is where he played, he was a nickel uh, defensive back. Uh, arguably, probably a also a backup safety, but so you know he has he has that background, and so uh, he eventually bulked up at Utah, and he played this kind of. Forgive like, me, Brian, but didn't he play at BYU? Oh dang, you're right, BYU. My bad. It is in Utah. I was I had the state right, but you're it, right. It was BYU. The region was correct. I yeah. mean, hey, yeah, I get it. My bad. Same same state. My bad, Cougs. My bad. Um, yeah, BYU, my apologies. But in his last season at BYU, he kind of played this hybrid linebacker safety role. And then the Niners drafted him in the third round. And I remember vividly, I remember Kevin Clark of the ringer talking about his draft crush that season. And it was Fred Warner and he has fulfilled that, uh, that draft crush status and more. So our second, 
our second 24 karat gold player is going to be Brandon Ayuk. <clears throat> Excuse me. This was his second game uh, back from his injury, and it was a significantly more impressive performance than his game against the Jets. He uh, seemed to have, a. I think what was interesting was, I believe he had only two targets in the first half of the game, and I don't think he caught either one of them. I can't remember specifically. And then he came out in the second half and it was like, you know, his hair was on fire, but he ended up with five receptions on eight targets for 70 yards receiving. And then he had three rushes for 31 yards and his first career touchdown, which he dedicated to his uh, newborn at home, which I thought was awesome. And he, you know, he had the same type of game uniquely that Debo Samuel did after Debo Samuel's first uh, game, which was game two last season. So game one last season, Debo had very similar stats to Ayuk. They were like, it was like two receptions or three receptions for like 30 yards. And then in the second game, he had, you know, rushing yards. He had a receiving touchdown. You know, he had like six receptions. And then Brandon Ayuk comes out against the Giants, has five receptions and 70 yards. So uh, quite the game for the rookie. And you can definitely see that uh, what he adds to the offense is only going to be heightened once Debo is out there and then once Kittle is out there and you can just kind of, and then once Mostert is out there and you kind of just start salivating as you think about the type of offense that Shanahan can roll out there when all the weapons come back and it's not that far away. And I'm very, very, very excited. Oh, it, it is exciting. And you can see the similarities between Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. They both are violent runners. They both have aggression when they have the ball in their hands. They don't shy away from contact. They don't do what Sammy Watkins did on Monday night. I don't know if you saw it, but he caught a ball in the flat. There were a couple of defenders yeah, in front of him. He just dove to the ground. <laughs> he just, yeah, he ate dirt. Like he was, he was happy to chomp on some grass. And that's not the type of receivers that we have. Uh, we have the guys that are interested in yak. We want yards after the catch. And whether it's it's Debo Samuel, it's Brandon Ayuk, it's George Kittle, it's you know Raheem Mostert, it, we have a lot of players that don't shy away from contact, and I love that. Brandon Ayuk is slightly different than Debo Samuel in the sense that he is a little bit more fluid in his movements. He's like where, 15 pounds lighter, which is yeah, D- part of it, yeah. Debo kind of looks like a bowling ball. He kind of looks like he's just going to wreck you. Where Brandon Ayuk kind of looks like he's going to he's going to glide past you. He's got those long legs, those long limbs. His catch radius is huge. He is going to be a big play threat. I need you to book it right now. Brandon Ayuk, when Jimmy Garoppolo gets back in the lineup, is going to catch deep balls. He is going to have three to four deep catches this year on fades where the 49ers have been lacking in the past that deep play threat down the sideline Ayuk is going to fill that role we've needed it and if you've watched the Chiefs play that's how good an offense can be when a quarterback is willing to trust a receiver down the field the 49ers have not had that star receiver where Jimmy could just throw the ball down the field and trust that the receiver is either going to get open or if they're not open they're going to go up and get that ball catch it at its highest point. That's what Brandon Ayuk is going to give to this team, and it's going to put their offense on another level. He is a fantastic 
rookie, and he's going to be—he has a chance if he continues on this trajectory to be the offensive rookie of the year. Yeah, I think right now the runaway offensive rookie of the year is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of uh, with Kansas City. But but yeah, Debo Debo remind I feel like Debo is built like a running back at the receiver position. And Ayuk is built more like a receiver. Um, they're both six feet tall, but Brandon Ayuk has a uh, a wingspan that is actually equal to Cal- Calvin Johnson's wingspan. And Calvin Johnson was six five. So Brandon Ayuk has basically freakishly long arms, which gives him, you know, he's only six feet tall, but really with those arms, it's almost like having a tall wide receiver on the outside going up to make those contested catches, like you said. And so I'm excited to see how Shanahan uses him as we move forward and then how Debo and Ayuk uh, combine to form a pretty potent uh, receiving threat. So I'm very excited for that. So you said he has he has the same uh, wingspan as Calvin Johnson. Mm-hmm. Do you know how long actually Brandon Ayuk's wingspan is? Because it's not six five. No, it's more. Correct. Yeah, I don't take I, a take a guess. It's like six seven, isn't it? More. Is it really? Is it like six nine? Six nine. That is outrageous. Eighty one inch wingspan. That's incredible. It's huge. Like that is one of the things that separates him. And I think that was one of the big reasons that Kyle Shanahan drafted him is that's what separated him from every other player in the draft. He was not a six foot five, six foot six receiver. But when you have a wingspan that is six nine, it makes you a taller receiver. You play like one. Exactly. Yeah. And last but certainly not least in our 24 karat gold award, we have Kyle Shanahan himself. And like I said earlier, one of the things that I appreciate about being a fan of this team is that I genuinely feel like every matchup we go into, there is a schematic and coaching advantage that the 49ers have over their opponent. And it feels like this week was Kyle Shanahan's piece de resistance, right? This was his, this was, this was him showing the rest of the league. Not only am I a good offensive play caller, not only can I, create and run a scheme that is potent and uh you know i'm not going to say unstoppable but he's also a tremendous leader and and i don't know how else you can look at this game and the fact that they came into this game so shorthanded they came into this game without their starting quarterback without their all pro tight end without their all pro defensive end without their all pro cornerback you know, they came into this, they came into this game with, you know, I said B squad earlier and you're like C squad in some areas. And we're like, that's right. Deion Jordan was up, you know, Jamichael hasty was up. These are players that they assumed would be on the practice squad for the majority of the season. And they went in to an opponent's home field and just absolutely wiped the floor with them. And so Again, I don't know how else you can look at this game and not think Kyle Shanahan is a a top coach in this league. He's getting paid like a top coach and he's earning it. And so, I I mean, I I mean, we could go around the league and and think about the head coaches that we might prefer to have. and, and, And I don't know that there'd be more than two or three. 
Well, the one thing that Kyle Shanahan is proving is that he's he he should be considered for coach of the year at the end of the year. Um, he he didn't get it last year, which was kind of shocking to me, considering the yeah. turnaround that that took place in year three. But to deal with all of these injuries, to deal with the adversity that the 49ers have faced even just in the first quarter of the season. Kyle Shanahan in my book is coach of the year up until this point. And I'm just, I'm not being a homer in that no other team has had to face what the 49ers have had to face. My only knock on Kyle Shanahan at this point is that dude needs to change his hat. Like I'm done with the gray (laughs) hat. He needs to bring back the red Shanahan hat. Um, That's, that's the only thing that I, I would like to change with Kyle Shanahan. I'll tell you what, Kyle Shanahan has way too much drip to repeat a wardrobe choice from last season. I don't think you're going to see the Shanahan at all this year. That's ridiculous because <laughs> I waited months for mine to come in. You did. You did. And it looks great. And and everyone knows it's the Shanahan, but now you got to get the gray one. And now you, that that's this year's model. All right. In 10 months, I'll get that hat. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to our 14 karat gold tier. Our first one here is going to be Jason Verrett. Jason Verrett started a football game for the first time since 2017, right? I believe it's 2017. It's either 2016 or 2017. It's 2017. Okay. So the first time since 2017, and he looked great out there, to be perfectly honest. He didn't make any splash plays. Um, You know, he didn't have any pass breakups. He didn't have any interceptions. Uh, but what he did have was consistent tight coverage on the outside, and he only gave up two completions on four targets for a total of nine yards. And what was interesting is he played the field position, the field corner uh, in the scheme, which is the cornerback that plays on the side of the field that has the most space, right? So in the NFL, uh, the ball is placed on the hash marks in the center of the field. If it's on the right hash mark, then the left side of the field is the field and the right side is called the boundary. If it's on the left hash mark, then the left side of the field is boundary and the right side of the field is what we call the, they call the field position. And so that's the position that uh, Sherman normally plays. Uh, But, What's interesting is that Verrett is actually probably better suited for the boundary position uh, just because he has such good uh, press ability at the line of scrimmage, which is what that boundary corner normally uh, is asked to do. And so it was just really good to see him not only out on the field uh, as a relative local local kid from the Vacaville area, uh, but it was awesome to see him play well. I was so excited to see Jason Verrett get his opportunity and to make it through the game and play well. Um, You know, I I told you last week when we were previewing this game how excited I was that Jason Verrett was active and that he was able to play. Uh, He came through in a huge way. This is the type of player that he can be if he can stay healthy. Um, He's a Pro Bowl caliber corner, talent-wise. There's no question he is a pro bowler in terms of talent. The question has been for the last few years, can he stay healthy? Can he stay on the field? This is going to be the question moving forward. I don't doubt Jason Verrett's talent. I don't doubt his confidence when he gets rolling. The biggest question moving forward is can he stay on the field? Fingers crossed. I want him and I want Sherman on the other side because that tandem at corner 
is something to be feared. Absolutely. If you guys are interested in following somebody on Twitter that uh, covers the 49ers and does a great job of it, but specifically uh, highlights wide receiver and DB play, Eric Crocker, who had a cup of coffee with the Jets in the NFL from Stockton, he uh, had a thread on Twitter that he put up yesterday, basically highlighting, I think, almost every play that that Verrett had. And it's interesting to see his, his take on that. He had essentially the same take we did, which was he had a great game. Uh, again, no splash plays, but just very good technique. And it was evident that he was, as Crocker says, feeling himself a little bit uh, as you watch some of the film and you can see him kind of jumping routes and things like that. Ball never came his way, but definitely played uh, a lights out game. And so uh, excited to see that moving forward. Next one we have up is Jarek McKinnon, the Jet. Uh, he carried the the bulk of the load in the run game, and the 49ers couldn't really get the run going. It felt like they rushed the ball 31 times, but they didn't rush as a team for over 100 yards. Uh, so, they, you know, you're talking about a three-yard per carry average. And uh, McKinnon wasn't super successful on the ground. He had 14 carries for 38 yards, but he did have that touchdown run, which is the third game in a row that he's had a touchdown. And then he had three receptions on four targets. And one of those receptions was for a big first down and he caught the ball uh, in a way that most running backs wouldn't have been able to do. He's such a tremendous receiver out of the backfield and he adds so much uh, to the offense in that regard. He is a fantastic athlete and I love watching him play. This is the player that we signed a couple years ago uh, expecting big things, and he hasn't disappointed. So far this year, he has scored a touchdown in every single game. Uh, he has made spectacular plays or highlight plays in each game. You mentioned the catch that he made behind him for the first down, mm -hmm. but, but how about the catch he made where he ran up the seam and he was initially looking outside and Nick Mullins threw inside, and he had to turn and find the ball and dive to make that catch. Um, that was just, the one that I had in my head in terms of the one that was difficult. So, yeah, that, thank you for highlighting that. Okay. Uh, that, that, that catch was phenomenal. And to, to see a running back do that, highlight reel, that's, that's great. And then if, if you didn't mention the other one where, where Jet came out of the backfield on a crucial third down, Nick Mullins threw the ball behind Jet where he had to turn and reach behind, slowing his momentum. The ball was below his waist, which is an extremely difficult position to catch the ball in, but he made it look effortlessly, probably better than I can say that word. Effortless. Um, effortlessly. No, and just effortless. He made it look effortless. There you go. See, thank you for teaching me something. I appreciate <laughs> you teaching me grammar um, and, and words. You help me. You're I speak a good guy. words good. You, you do. I appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyways, needless to say, uh, he made it in two probably, I'd say, on the, on the realm of probably more to most difficult style catches uh, in a game. That's why Jet McKinnon is is the player we hoped he would be. We're going to see big things from him moving forward. I don't think he's going to average a touchdown a game, but I do think uh, he is going to be a highlight real player. We're going to get something special from him each game. 
I'll tell you what, as a fantasy team owner who has stock in Jet McKinnon and two of his three teams, if he averages a touchdown a game, that would be fantastic. Please do that, Jet. I would appreciate that. All right, last one we want to highlight is Ross Dwelly. Ross uh, Dwelly is the tight end three on the team, but when Jordan Reed went out, he became tight end one because Kittle was already out, and he had a pretty nice game. He had 49 yards receiving, which was a career high for him, and he played uh, 62 of the Niners' 77 plays. Uh, and not only did he, not only did he, you know, have a career high in receptions, but he made some key blocks on some key plays, uh, including that touchdown run that McKinnon had. And you know, he's not ever going to be George Kittle. Let's let's you know, let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. But you know, the 49ers have some pretty incredible depth at that position when you've got George Kittle and Jordan Reed and Ross Dwelly and then the rookie Charlie Warner who's hasn't played a ton and has been, you know, mostly in on 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 run plays as a blocking tight end, but has acquitted himself fairly well in the in the in the run game and definitely learning and and he's made some mistakes, but the uh, the 49ers have a bright future at that position led by obviously the people's tight end George Kittle. Well, hey, Ross Dwelly's a local kid, right? He is. He went to uh, Oak Ridge High School in El Dorado Hills. Well, hey, that's where I did my student teaching. Nice. It's my good I wonder connection. if he was there. No, no, he's too young for that. How old did you just call me? You heard Whatever. me. You heard me. I did. Anyways, Ross Dwelly really did have a great game. He stepped up in a huge way. He was actually the fourth highest graded 49er in terms of PFF. He graded out at a 71 and he had a pass block blocking grade of 72.8, and he had a run blocking grade of 57.6. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that when you are third string tight end, and let's just be frank, that's what he is. He's our third string tight end, plays at a level where he is in the top five of offensive performers. You know you have something special in that position group. George Kittle obviously leads the way. He sets the tone for the entire group and having somebody like Jordan Reed come in who adds some real special talent. Ross Dwelly has had the ability to learn from both of those guys. And moving forward, I know we have Jordan Reed out for six to eight weeks potentially with that knee injury. I feel very confident with Ross Dwelly being our number two as long as George Kittle is our tight end one. Yeah, and again, Kittle is day to day. Um I I think I'm I'm pretty confident that that he'll play this week, but but we'll see. First practice is tomorrow on Wednesday, and so that's when we start to know more about these injuries and, and the likelihood of of guys playing uh during the week. So let's move on to our last one, which is our fool's gold. In a game this dominant, it's kind of hard to find something to critique, but this game actually did find one person that was easy to critique and that was long snapper Kyle Nelson. And I know you guys are all salivating for some fire long snapper content, but Nelson definitely had a rough game and he, I believe he had six long snaps and four of them were not great. And so the 49ers actually brought in, I believe three, different long snappers today four. Uh, four. four four different long snappers today for auditions doesn't mean that they're going to replace Kyle Nelson but maybe that will uh kind of uh, light a fire under him the dude's only job quite literally his only job 
is long snapper. That's the only thing that he does on the team. That's what he gets paid for. And not only that, but this is a guy that missed the first six games last year because of, uh, and and I mean, I don't know why, but uh, performance-enhancing drug suspension. And so I don't know why the long snapper is taking PEDs, but he was. And so, you know, I would I would assume he's a bit on a, a short leash as is. And when you have the kind of game that he had on Sunday, then, you know, you shouldn't be surprised that they brought in four dudes to possibly take your job. So I don't I, I didn't read anywhere where they signed any of them or let Kyle Nelson go. So I imagine he's probably going to continue uh, moving forward. But if he has another game like he did on Sunday, uh, I don't think they would hesitate to kick him to the curb. Well, there's no doubt that Kyle Shanahan has put Kyle Nelson on notice by bringing in four guys to take your job. Like you, you got to get your stuff right. But Kyle Shanahan also has had a lot of trust in Kyle Nelson. And that showed last year when he did go out on his suspension for his PEDs, Kyle Shanahan was very, very public about the fact that it was his job coming back. And that means something. As a long snapper, it's not a physical issue. There's nothing going on with Kyle Nelson physically that's the problem. He, uh, Kyle Shanahan disca- described it as Nelson having the yips, as attributed kind of to, to golf. I don't know if you've ever golfed before. If sometimes you get this glitch in your swing, it's not a physical thing. It's a mental thing. And that's what Kyle Nelson has right now. He has been put on notice. This is not acceptable. This is professional football. You have a job to do. Everyone is expected to get their job done. You could see on Sunday how shaken he really was. He had his head in his hands. Multiple players were coming up to talk to him to try and get him out of his funk, and it just didn't work. He had to be replaced on the final snap, uh, the final long snap, and it showed that we have other people that can get this job done. I do think Kyle Nelson is one of the best in the game when his head is right. He should be fine moving forward. I think this is a good wake-up call. Don't take any more PEDs, bud. You'll be okay. Yeah, whenever I hear the word yips, the thing that I think of most is uh, Chuck Knobloch of the Yankees played second base, was a rookie of the year, and then in 2000 just couldn't figure out how to throw the ball from second base to first base. He was throwing them over the first baseman. He was throwing them in the ground, threw some into the stands. And so, yeah, it's just like this kind of mental, this this mental block that happens that all of a sudden this thing that you've done for, you know, the majority of your life, all of a sudden you can't figure out how to how to do it. And so it, it it's an interesting kind of psychological phenomenon. But hopefully Nelson gets over it and it's not an issue moving forward because Robbie Gold was hot garbage last year until Nelson came back, and then he only missed one field goal from there. So uh, definitely an important part of the special teams uh, team and, uh, you know, one of the one of the three specialists on the team. So hopefully hopefully he gets that figured out. It's all three of them. It comes down to timing. Mm -hmm. You know, the kickers in the league. Yes, it's mental and it's timing. Holders in the league have to have that ball down at a specific time. And snappers, it's their job to make sure that that ball is put in the perfect place. The best kickers, it's not an individual effort. They have a great team. Those three, the long snapper, the holder, and the kicker all have to do their job. And I want to give my shout-outs to kickers 
because I do know that one of our friends of the pod, Derek Novice, who listens to this pod reg- regularly, he was Thanks, a kicker. Derek. He was a kicker. And he always tells me, give kickers some love. I am giving kickers some love right here. But you know, as well as I do, Derek, that you need your long snapper and you need your holder to be on point with their timing. Because if it's not, you're going to find a whole bunch of misses like we saw last year from Robbie Gold. All right. And then the last thing that we wanted to highlight was what we call our flash in the pan. And this was something that we noticed that wasn't necessarily anything that landed somebody in one of our tiers of 24 karat gold, 14 karat gold, or fool's gold, but just something that we noticed that we wanted to highlight. And for us, that was the play in which Mike McGlinchey got blown up on a bull rush on a pass, I believe, in the second quarter. Uh, Mullins was able to get the pass out, but uh, it was inaccurate uh, due to the pressure from McGlinchey's side. And it, it, it just, when I saw the play, I just remembered what we talked about in our last episode where we said, is Mike McGlinchey, is he too skinny? Like, has he lost too much weight? Is he playing underweight at that right tackle position? And the ease with which he was destroyed on that bull rush just kind of made me realize like somebody needs to get that dude some cheeseburgers. Like let's, let's, let's get some, you know, some cheeseburgers, you know, maybe, maybe contact the rock and ask him about some of those cheat meals he has where he consumes like 755,000 calories. Um, but Mike, that's McGlinchey, a lot of calories. I know in the rock, but Hey, the rock is the rock. Look, look at that guy. So I, I don't, again, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's underweight. I don't know if, if, if that's part of the issue, or if it's just the fact that it's week three without a preseason and he's just kind of working to get his feet under him. But I'm definitely keeping an eye on the glinch. Well, when you're when Richard Sherman nicknames you the big slim and you're an offensive lineman, especially a tackle, some concerns are raised. Okay. Yes, he's fit. He looks like Joe Staley does after retirement. He looks yeah. He looks slim down and he looks trim. It it like when he stands next to some of our other players like our skill position players, there's not much of a difference in regards to the thickness and the body type. He's just taller. He's just 6'9". And, he <laughs> and he wears a different face mask. He wears a lineman face mask. That's the only yeah. reason you know it's him. And my, that and that big number 6'9". Oh my god, Glinch, <laughs> please as a quarterback you, you need your tackles to be just walls. You need them to be able to absorb those tough defensive end rushes, those bull rushes. You can't be knocked off your base. And he was, I mean, watching him just get toppled over, both feet were lifted off of the ground and he was thrown back. Yeah, he was, he was, that's not he acceptable. Slapbacked. He was slap backed. That was a, a reverse pancake. It's not it's not something that you can accept from your right tackle. I mean, take a look at Trent Williams. That's not happening to Trent Williams. Now, is it fair to compare McGlinchey to Trent Williams? There's probably a 70-pound difference right now. But like you said... <laughs> I don't know about 70, because that would put McGlinchey at about 250. But I bet I th- you... I, I think Trent, Trent Williams is 330. You think he is? You think so? He's, three, he's 330. Let's be real. Like, there's that dude is massive. Can, can we mention what we learned about him from last week? Because we didn't put it in an episode. Avi, uh, Trent Williams 
is uh, so all NFL players wear some GPS gear under their uniforms, and that's what helps with like next gen stats. That's how the NFL knows that Raheem Mostert reached twenty three point one miles per hour on his touchdown run against the Jets. Trent Williams at according to Tim three hundred and thirty pounds, according to the listing, I believe three twenty. Either way, a good amount above three hundred pounds has been clocked on some of the plays where he's pulling and 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 running out in front on some of these run plays has been clocked at nineteen miles an hour. Unbelievable. Absolutely like that, unbelievable. That dude is like next next level athletic. Like you just don't find people that size, that quick, that strong, that athletic. That's phenomenal. And and look, I, I understand like Mike McGlinchey is listed at 310 pounds. No chance. I mean, maybe no he's chance. 310 pounds if he weighed in with his pads on and he was dripping wet after being in the tub with rocks in his pockets. Yeah. Like that's where I'll give him 310. He's probably pushing 275 right now. Yeah, I was and that's say why I'm 280 saying or 285, but yeah. And and but just looking at him, like he doesn't wear huge shoulder pads. Like you can kind of see his body frame. The dudes, he needs to put on a little bit of weight if he's going to be going up against the premier pass rushers in the league. There's no way if if I'm a pass rusher, if I'm a defensive end, if I'm an outside linebacker, and I'm going up, and I have the option of going against Trent Williams or Mike McGlinchey right now. I'm choosing Mike McGlinchey every single time. Absolutely. Now, I know you can't do that because of scheme, but come on. He's going to be facing the best of the best each week from that defense. He needs to be ready for it. I do not think that his weight is where it needs to be. Bulk up, dude. Like Lock him in a weight room. Pump in some protein powder in through the vents and do whatever it takes to get his weight up. He needs to be over 300 pounds. He needs to be where his weight is listed at, at 310. That would be great. Yeah. All right, that's going to lead us into our QB corner with our resident QB, Tim Sprinkles. All right. And so it was fun getting to evaluate Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins is a a great backup quarterback. I am just not buying into anything that I'm hearing on Twitter that he should be the starter. There is no quarterback controversy. Let's just be real clear about that. Nick Mullins had a very, very good game. Okay, completing almost 70%, 70% of your throws, that's great. Throwing for 343 yards, that's great. But understand something. Kyle Shanahan's game plan was slightly modified due to the fact that he did not have Raheem Mostert or Tevin Coleman in the game. He was using Jarek McKinnon, a running back that is not designed to be your first, second, or third down, or and third down back. He's designed to be your third down back only. And Jeff Wilson Jr. was not producing in the first half, and early in the second half, he did not have the runs that were that you you looked at and you went, oh, we can rely on our run game. No, Kyle Shanahan kind of called an audible. He got away from the run game and he started throwing the ball with Nick Mullins. And Nick Mullins is good. He's a very, very good and capable backup. I love Nick Mullins. I love that big Nick energy. But stop with the Jimmy Garoppolo needs to be benched in favor of Nick Mullins. I saw a tweet from a guy that said, I bet the Broncos would be willing to give us two first-round picks for Jimmy Jimmy G and we could start Nick Mullins for the rest of the year. That ain't happening. 
Okay, 49er fans, bottom line, Jimmy Garoppolo's our guy moving forward. Okay, Jimmy Garoppolo and Nick Mullins, they, they're very similar in stats because you're going to find it's a system that lets quarterbacks thrive and do things well. Both passers are right around 65 to 67% completion percentage. Jimmy's leading in that category. Obviously, Jimmy has more yards in his career because he started four times as many games. Jimmy Garoppolo is averaging about 7.1 per completion. Nick Mullins is averaging 8.6. Those are both pretty darn good. Okay, the real difference that we're going to find is that Nick Mullins has 14 TDs to 11 interceptions. Jimmy Garoppolo has 48 TDs to 21 interceptions. Basically, what you're getting with Nick Mullins is you're getting twice as many interceptions than you do with Jimmy Garoppolo. And we already, we already give Jimmy a hard time in regards to the amount of interception he interceptions he throws. It seems like fans and analysts have a very short memory when it comes to Nick Mullins and a very long memory when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo, they say, is a system quarterback. Kyle Shanahan leads him. Well, then it would have to be the same thing for Nick Mullins. Keep it consistent. Nick Mullins, in my opinion, did earn himself a pretty large contract by his play in week three. Unfortunately, 49er fans, I do not expect Jimmy or Nick Mullins to be wearing a 49er uniform next year. I think he earned his spot. He's going to earn a chance to be a starting quarterback somewhere else in the league, and that's okay. Hopefully, they're able to get something from Mullins at some point, but he did very well, but Jimmy's our guy. Yeah, I think uh, ultimately the one thing that I want to tag on here is in his postgame press conference when asked about Nick Mullins, Kyle Shanahan said he can make all the throws on – and then he stopped himself and he thought and he said, he can make all the throws we ask him to make. And I think that is the limiting factor to Nick Mullins as a starting NFL quarterback is he does not have the arm talent necessary to make all the throws on the field. He has the arm talent to make all the throws asked of him within the framework of the 49ers offense. But Jimmy Garoppolo has significantly more arm talent and allows the offense to open up a little bit more down the field. And ultimately that's, what's going to lead you to a more dynamic and uh, like top ranked offense. And so that's going to actually lead me into my hot boys, hot take. Hot boys on three. One, two, three. Hot boys. Big Nick energy is the best backup quarterback in the NFL full stop. And so what I want to do is I want to read off to you the backup quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, and I want you to tell me if you would take that backup over Big Nick Energy. You ready? Ready. Buffalo Let's Bills, Matt Barkley. Oh, I'm taking Big Nick for sure. Miami Dolphins. Let's say Tua or Ryan Fitzpatrick. Oof. Um, I mean, if I'm taking if I'm taking a quarterback now in the next year or two i'm taking nick if i'm taking a quarterback for the long-term future i'm probably taking tua but right now nick right uh new england patriots brian hoyer uh, we, nick, we've seen that movie sure. already <laughs> yeah that's next new york jets mike white 
Or if you want to go, Mike White is is on the depth chart as a second quarterback. QB three is Joe Flacco. Stop. I don't. Even, I, I'm not even going to knock. Nick, go next. Baltimore Ravens RG three. You know, if if this was what seven years ago, I'd probably take RG three, but I'm taking Nick for sure. Yeah, I think RG three fits the Baltimore Ravens offense. Outside of that, I don't know that he'd be on another team, but you never know. Cincinnati Bengals, Ryan Finley. Nick, like, yeah, okay. you're right. Cleveland okay. Browns, yeah. Case Keenum. Nick. Pittsburgh Steelers, Mason Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> After watching what the Niners did to him, uh, Nick Mullins. Houston Texans, A.J. McCarron. Nick. Uh, Indianapolis Colts, Jacoby Brissett. That's a tough one. Jacoby Brissett's good. Jacoby Brissett has proved himself to be a okay starter. Capable. Nothing special. Yeah, he's capable. But is he does he have the the it factor? I don't know. Uh it's a toss up for me. Um, does he have the it factor of big nick energy? He mm. does not have big nick energy. All right, Jacksonville Jaguars, Mike Glennon. Uh if he can't even beat out my boy. <laughs> Gardner Minshew, there's no chance he's beating out Nick Mullins. This is actually one of the teams I've predicted that Nick Mullins might go to next year. If Trevor Lawrence isn't there. Tennessee Titans. Stop it. Logan Woodside. I don't who? know that. Yeah. Denver yeah. Broncos. I Jeff Driscoll started last week. Apparently, Mark Rippon's nephew, Brett Rippon, out of Boise State, is starting this week. Again. Who? Yep. Kansas City Chiefs, Chad Henney. No. Las Vegas Raiders, Marcus Mariota. Oh, that poor guy. How he has fallen. Uh I I just I have zero confidence in Marcus Mariota to make a pass. Right. Like as a dual threat quarterback, he's good, he's athletic, but no, Nick for sure. Los Angeles Chargers, Tyrod Taylor. Oof, there's a okay, this one's tough. There's no doubt that Tyrod Taylor has proven himself. The dude just has the worst luck in the NFL. Absolutely. Like currently every, dealing currently dealing with a punctured uh, lung. Punctured lung which he received from his own team doctor who stabbed him in the lung when trying to give him a tort all shot for his uh, bruised ribs. Have you seen a picture of him? I have not. He's like 80 years old. The doctor? Yeah. Let's get a new guy in there. Seriously. He was around like when football was invented. (laughs) Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys. You ready for this? Who's the Dallas Cowboys backup quarterback? Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton. The Red Rocket. Rocket. Or as Colin Cowherd so wonderfully puts it, the beige water pistol. <laughs> he's he's washed up, man. I got no faith in Andy Dalton anymore. Right. If, if right. it if it came down to it, he's in his tenth year, man. Yeah, Andy Dalton. Can you believe that? That's how old we are. Andy Dalton's in his tenth year. Nick Mullins. No, I'm taking Nick. All right, I, I can't take Andy in that one. New York Giants, Colt McCoy. I love Colt McCoy. I really do. Like his, his dad works for a company that we, we kind of work for, uh, or we, we, you know, it's, it's called the, the flipping group. It's, it's, it's a group that works on building culture. His dad's fantastic. He's a good guy. Um, Colt, I just, I'm sorry. I haven't seen anything in the NFL that makes me think that I would take him over a quarterback that can, that can get you 350 yards a game. Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts. I haven't Unproven, seen any, right? yeah. yeah, I haven't seen anything from him yet. So the no. Washington football team, Kyle Allen or Alex Smith. I'm taking Alex Smith. Over Big over, Nick Energy? Oh yeah. 
I will. I will ride or die with Alex Smith. It's probably not. It's not the smartest move as a coach. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm definitely probably going to eat that one, but I got to ride or die with with Alex Smith. All right, Chicago Bears. Boy. Mitchell Trubisky. Get, Who's the backup now? <laughs> M- Mitchy, get Mitch. Mitchy out of here. Detroit he, Detroit Lions. Chase Daniel. Nope. Green Bay Packers. Tim Boyle. <laughs> Who? Minnesota no. Vikings. Sean Mannion. Who? At- no. Atlanta Falcons. Matt Schaub. What? How old is Matt Schaub? He's been in the league like I seventeen years. I think he's sixty-seven years. years old. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, pa- Carol- pass. Carolina Panthers, PJ Walker, who last started for the XFL. Who? Yep. New Orleans Saints. You could say Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston. Uh, now, okay. So here, now Jameis Winston is, that's a tough one because you know what you're going to get with J- with with Jameis. You're going to get 30 four- interceptions. But you're going to get four to 5,000 yards of passing. You're going to get a player that if you're a garbage team, he's still he's going to get you some wins. He's going to chuck the ball down the field. He has zero fear. He's going to get it. Like, he is going to get your offense moving. Yes, he's going to create a bunch of turnovers. But that's a tough one for me. I can't, like, I can't sit here and say, oh, I'd take Nick Mullins 10 times out of 10 over Jameis Winston. All right. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, good old Blaine Gabbert. Oh, Blainers. No. Arizona Cardinals, Chris Streveler. Yep. Los Angeles Rams, John Wolford. Uh Huh? Who? And and last but not least, the Seattle Seahawks with Geno Smith. No. Okay, hold on. This little experiment has kind of just really emphasized for me the fact that Colin Kaepernick deserves a a freaking job in the NFL. Right? Jeez Louise. <laughs> like if you're reading off the backup quarterbacks in the NFL, these, these guys are QB twos. That's not I mean, like I said, this is QB two on every depth chart. It's not QB three. I threw a couple QB threes in there, and that was Alex Smith, Jameis Winston, and Brett Rippon, or and Joe Flacco. Other than that, it's all QB two. So yeah, I, I I agree with you. So for you, there were there were two on the list that you said yes to. For me, there was uh, there were two on the list that were maybes where I'm like, nah, maybe. And it's only because they have a track record of success in the NFL. One of those being Case Keenum, who did lead the uh, Minnesota Vikings to the NFC Championship game. That's a pretty solid backup quarterback uh, situation there. Um, I I like Andy Dalton. I know that he's not a starter, but I think as a backup, that's a pretty solid situation. And then, uh, like you said, Jameis Winston. Other than that, I'm taking Big Nick energy all day, every day. Big Alex Drip Nick. Smith. And, uh, I, I, dude, I am a huge Alex Smith fan, but we are talking about being a backup quarterback, not a fan favorite. Well, think about what, if you have a starter and that's not injury prone, think about all of the... Think about what the leadership he's going to bring into that QB room. Think about all the intelligence, what he's That's been true. through. Like, it's not just about what he can do on the field. Being a backup quarterback means you got to have, you got to be ready to go at a drop, at the drop of a hat. Any injury that happens, you got to be ready to go, but you also have to contribute in some way. You can't just be some stiff that stands on the sideline that doesn't do anything. That's just collecting a paycheck. Alex Smith would contribute. That dude would bring something to any organization that he goes in that I want him to play so bad. Like 
obviously be healthy and not get hurt again. But please, Washington football team, you've made so many mistakes over the years. <laughs> Give Alex Smith a chance. Let him be. Let him get a chance. I want him to be comeback player of the year. Yeah, sure. and, and let's be perfectly honest. Dwayne Haskins has shown quite literally nothing when it comes to a future in this league. So let's get Alex Smith a, uh, a snap. If he gets one snap, if he gets one solitary snap on a football field this season, not a kneel down, a snap of actual football, even if he just hands it off to Antonio Gibson, comeback player of the year. That will, that will rank for me as probably one of the greatest moments in professional sports that I can remember. So good. All right. Last thing we wanted to look at uh, was a situation where we think the 49ers are getting a little bit disrespected and power rankings, whatever, they're all opinion based. But if you look at the major sporting news, uh, magazines, websites, whatever you want to call it, uh, the 49ers are ranked fairly low, even though they are two and one. Uh, ESPN has them ranked at 11. NFL has com has them ranked at 12. USA Today has them ranked at 12. Sports Illustrated has them ranked at 13. CBS Sports has them ranked at 14. Bleacher Report has them ranked at 15, which makes their average ranking uh, 13. And so the question I have for you is, are there really 12 better teams in the NFL than the 49ers? No, let's move on. All right. Agreed. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. And I understand I understand that one, we're looking at two different things. One, we have the East Coast bias, where hundred percent. A lot I mean, even though that the 49ers played the last two weeks in New York, which gave a lot of sports writers the ability to see firsthand just how good and how deep the 49ers really are, how good their coaching staff is, how how great they are top to bottom in this organization. Now, are the 49ers right now a top three, top four, top five team in the NFL? No, they are not. They're dealing with too much adversity. They're dealing with too many injuries. I'm not going to sit here and be a homer and say they're the best team in the league. They're better than the, than the Chiefs. No, they're not. They have a huge mountain to climb. But when you look at the teams, no, there's not a dozen teams that are better than the 49ers. And I'll just read them off to you. Okay. In my top tier right now, there's about four teams that are in the top tier. You got the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Seahawks, and the Bills. Do you think any of those teams are better than the 49ers? Uh, I, I would go with the Chiefs. Um, the Ravens got exposed by the Chiefs on Monday night, and Lamar Jackson's now 0 and 5 uh, anytime that his team trails by 10 points or more, which is a huge issue. The Seahawks defense is uh, hot garbage and the Bills needed a comeback at home to beat the Rams, but they still, their offense is playing really, really well and their defense is still really solid. So um, of that tier, I would, uh, you know, I'm still going to put the Chiefs, Seahawks and Bills in there because they're all three and oh, but I don't think uh, the Ravens have proven to be significantly better than the 49ers. Wow. One loss and they're, they're falling deeply. Uh, I didn't say they fall deeply. I just don't think they're the top tier. Before the season started, I mean, when we looked at the schedule, there was there were conversations about are the Ravens going to go sixteen and zero? Their schedule is super easy. I still think they're going to finish the year fifteen and one, fourteen and two. I don't think this. Yeah. I don't think this well, loss to the Chiefs knocks them off. I think no, they're still going to be the class of the, they could still get the number one seed in the AFC. Yeah, I'm not arguing that that they won't be in the playoffs and that they won't be good. I just don't think they're as good as the media 
makes them out to be. That's all I'm trying to say. Okay, I agree. So now we get into what I consider the next tier of teams. And just yes or no, are the 49ers better than the Packers? Yes. Better than the Saints? Yes. Better than the Rams? Not sure. Cardinals? Yes. Even though the Cardinals, hold on. Even though the Cardinals beat us, I still think the Cardinals just lost to the Lions at home. So I know that they beat the 49ers. The 49ers played like hot garbage that game. I'm still not ready to say the Cardinals are better than the Niners. Yeah, there was outside of the first couple of possessions, the 49ers really did play like hot garbage inside of a dumpster fire. Like that was kind of the 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 level at which they played. Yeah. So, okay, so we cut Cardinals, Colts. Yes. Patriots. Yes. Steelers. Yes. That one's hard though. I I, I don't have a read on the Steelers yet. Still we'll waiting. See. Yeah. Okay. And Titans. Yes. The Titans, mi- the Titans almost lost to the Minnesota Vikings uh, on Sunday, and the Vikings are a train wreck. So I just listed off a ton of teams. Do you feel like I missed anybody that could be in that tier? Uh, no, the, the Bears are 3-0, and but that's a pretty weak 3-0. and um, I can't – I yeah, I can't really think of anybody else that has been – Impressive. But what I am going to say is it, it is pretty evident that the NFC West is home to four of the top eight teams in the NFL. There's no doubt about that. I think the NFC West is the premier of the league. I think the NFC East is ridiculous. I mean, we could say we could say hot garbage. We could say dumpster fire. But I, I think that's an insult to both of those terms. Uh, the Cowboys are ridiculously bad. Um, the the NFC South, I am not sold on the Saints. I think they, they've been exposed. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I mean, they beat the Broncos this last weekend. Mm-hmm. And the Broncos are like the worst team in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. The, I, there's just nobody really in the NFC that is intimidating Outside of the fact that the the Packers are an unknown because Aaron Rodgers is playing so well yeah. that he's hiding the fact that their defense isn't playing very well. I mean, when you look at DVOA, you look at the fact that the Green Bay Packers are currently second offensively, but they're 28th defensively. Yeah, real quick. Uh, so DVOA... Uh, is a stat that was created by uh, Football Outsiders, and it is a method of evaluating teams. Uh, and they also do units and players, right? So they can do offense, defense, special teams, or just individual players. But it takes every single play during the season and compares each one to a league average baseline based on the situation. So essentially, it is a method in which they attempt to measure the efficiency of a team. Uh, and the, again, that's offensively, defensively, and special teams, or just individual players. And they even do units like O-line, D-line, things like that. Um, but um, but yeah, so that's DVOA. You, you brought it up, and so I just wanted everyone to understand what that is. So again, this is a measure of efficiency. And so you said the Packers have the second most efficient offense, but what is their defensive rank? Their def- their defensive rank is number 28. Yeah, not great. Yeah, I said that correctly. 28. Yeah. 
The only teams worse would be what Jacksonville Jaguars at 29. And then you have like the uh, poor Raiders and the Miami Dolphins at 31 and 32. I mean, these teams are just, oh, they're so bad. So when you look at the top 10 offenses by DVOA, right? So mm-hmm. the most, the, the, the 10 most efficient offenses, which you could argue the 10 best offenses in the NFL, how many teams also have a top 10 defense by DVOA? Uh, well, there's only one team that has a top eight offense and a top eight defense. And that is? Well, the team we've been talking about. The San Francisco 49ers. That's right. No, yeah, the only the only one the only one that's close is the Chiefs, who have the fifth ranked offense and the thirteenth ranked defense. But again, the 49ers have the eighth eighth ranked offense and the fifth ranked defense. So no, yeah. there are not twelve teams that are better than the San Francisco <laughs> 49ers right now. Sorry. Which, which puts them as a ranking of third when you just look at this metric. So when you average everything out and you average offense, defense, and special teams, and you put all that together, they're ranked third. Now, yes, they've played kind of some teams that are not great and who are at the bottom of the barrel in terms of these these metrics, actually number 30 and number 31 in the Giants and the Jets. But good teams are supposed to take it to bad teams. They're not supposed to play down to their level and make it close. The 49ers did their job. You can only play who's on your schedule moving forward. So each week, week in and week out, you are taught as a player and as a coach, you're going to do your job and the scoreboard is going to reflect what you've done. And the 49ers took it to both of those teams. They got their stuff right. Week one, in my opinion, is equivalent to the preseason. Yeah. Doesn't really count. Because teams are still getting to figure everything out. They haven't hit another, they haven't hit each other. They haven't hit another team. You're getting to run your stuff against somebody else for the first time since last season. Bottom line, week one was preseason. Then you get this nice soft schedule for the 49ers moving forward. Couldn't have asked for a better schedule to start when you're facing so much adversity and so many injuries. They're doing what they need to do, they're taking it to the bad teams. Luckily, You still have, moving forward, a Philadelphia Eagles team that is reeling, that somehow, some way went from Carson Wentz that was a top-tier quarterback, considered one of the best in the league. Well, an MVP candidate the year that he blew out his knee. Yeah, and somehow, some way, he is like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. Yes, he doesn't really have an offensive line, but still, like we don't expect to see... Carson Wentz perform this poorly. And then after that, we have the Miami Dolphins, who I don't think they're going to bring much Fitzmagic over to San Francisco or Santa Clara. Not on a, not on a, you know, a, a East Coast to West Coast trip for sure. Right. Not from South Beach. So I really like the 49ers moving forward. I could see them at four and one before they face the Rams. We will get more into the prediction episodes and the preview episodes of the next game and the next podcast but 49er fans understand you're gonna have to listen to some bs you're gonna have to listen to the national media not highlighting the 49ers and saying they're a top tier team but when you look at the numbers 
The 49ers are doing things the right way, the way that's a balanced attack that get teams back into the postseason and deep into that postseason run. All right. Well, that's all we have for you tonight. Join us on Friday morning, which is when the episode will drop, as we preview that game against, as Tim said, the Philadelphia Eagles. But until then, bang, bang. Niner gang.